Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my amazingly beautiful wife, Liberty. And we are a married couple with vastly different interests. We'll try to bring the other person to our side through the latest news in books and sports. Today's episode being books. The conversion of me is starting now. I would hope it would have started months ago, but let's see. There's a little bit of book news. I don't think there's a ton, but what I did find is interesting. Netflix is currently working on adapting the book The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock into a movie, I believe. The trailer is currently up on Netflix. It is a psychological thriller that comes out on September 16th, which is just in time for the spooky season. You gotta love it. When spooky things come, at spooky times. And the weird part is the cast is pretty well known. It's a few. Robert Pattinson, Tom Holland, Sebastian Stan, and other well-known actors. Interesting. So you're gonna have the soon-to-be new Batman, Spider-Man, and the Winter Soldier all so, in one psychological thriller. Still no, not sure that I'm sold on the new Batman yet, but we'll see. You know, I don't like listening to cast news because it's like, wait until you see them in their role before you make any decisions about how they're going to be. I've been pretty right about who's been bad Batmans though over the years, so I feel like it could be interesting. But I don't know much about this one because I'm not a huge psychological thriller fan, but obviously it has to be decent in order for Netflix to pick it up. Right. And speaking of adaptations... Karen in McManus's One of Us is Lying, a YA mystery thriller that has been selling really well, doing pretty well in the YA community for years, is getting turned into a Peacock show with eight episodes. Peacock is that streaming service from yet another company. From NBC. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, the one with the Peacock. (laughs) Go figure. And... Basically, the best way to pitch this book to someone is it's The Breakfast Club meets Pretty Little Liars. Basically, five strangers walk into detention and only four walk out. Someone dies. Okay. I was like, what? That's definitely not how Breakfast Club works, in which case we need to go watch it. That's where the Pretty Little Liars part comes in. Okay, I don't know Pretty Little Liars, so I was like, okay. It's sort of mystery. Let's say we own Breakfast Club. We're going to go watch it right now. But I remember reading this book, and I really enjoyed it. So, I don't know. I think it could be a good show. I know she's come out with more books since then, but it's one of those things where I'm not interested enough to pick them up. Gotcha. So, I don't know. It could be a fun show to watch. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Obviously, I don't know Pretty Little Liars, so I don't, I'm probably missing a big chunk of what the story kind of line could be. So... You know that Midnight Sun came out at the beginning of this month, which is basically Twilight from Edward's perspective, and it seems to be doing pretty well, so the author was asked if she would ever do the other books from Edward's perspective, and she flat out said this week that no, she would never, because apparently writing and reading this book, people have said Edward's perspective is very anxious. He's a very anxious vampire, I guess. I've never read that about his personality until this book came out. And she said that writing this book made her so anxious she couldn't possibly write another book in his perspective. Which I've heard people who've read it say that reading the book makes them anxious. So I don't know how that works. So you should pass on the book then because anxiety is a bad thing. It's also my constant mental state. But she said that the second book, New Moon, would basically just be him being depressed and full of anxiety all the time. So there's really no point to continuing from his perspective. Though I have heard that Midnight Sun also brings in the creepier, more scary elements of Edward's personality that you just don't get in Twilight because Bella's an idiot. So... Who knows? I just don't understand why as an author you'd write the book in the first place if you didn't want to extend the storyline through all the books instead of just doing a one-off. Like, it seems stupid. I know that after she finished the series, she started writing it, and I guess her publishers have just decided to publish the first one so that they can make more money. Yeah. I agree that there's no point to a second one because, A, it would be really short because he's almost never in New Moon. 
he's barely in that book and b he's not doing anything like he's just being anxious and depressed when you do see him so i agree there's no point i guess i could see that perspective as well and again i still don't know if i'm going to end up reading this thing i think either one of two things needs to happen for me to read it I get gifted it from someone else, so I'm not spending my money lining her pockets. Or two, I get it from like half-price books or something where I'm really not paying the author for the book, I'm paying the people I'm getting the book from for the book. And then the third thing that would happen either way is if I am going to read this book, I'm also going to make a donation for whatever I spent for the book or just a flat rate to the Indian tribe that she's basically ripped their culture and stuck it in a book and had no interaction with the people of the tribe, just looked up all that crap and stuck it in her books. I didn't know that was what Twilight was about. Well, it's heavily in the books. It's the werewolves come from this Indian tribe. So if I'm going to read it, there's going to be a lot of things in my way before I do read it. So (laughs) Some hoops to jump through. We'll see. Recently... I think it was this past Thursday, a teaser for Michael Cohen's Trump book came out because a judge has now lifted the gag order that was in place. So the book is set to release in September. Again, another person close to the president is coming out with the tell-all book about their experience with him. It's horrifying and his fan base is going to ignore it and still vote for him, but yeah, because he's the greatest thing since uh, sliced bread, you know, is what a lot of people seem to think. Sure, if sliced bread is evil. And so I'm just sort of frustrated with all these people who were close to him suddenly trying to make a profit off of their experience just because why were you not doing the right thing the whole time? Why am I going to give you money for sitting on your butt until you've been forced out by mm. someone? Right. So I'm not going to read it. I don't blame you. I don't read political books to begin with, but then especially not if it's someone who just sat there and let whatever was happening happen. But also the person who originally wrote one of these several Trump books is coming out with a second one. Okay. You have another one slated also before the election. Who knows if they'll make a dent in his fan base. We'd start to hope that we'd see something change, obviously, at some point. Yeah. And then a funny piece of news, a book came out this week called Men to Avoid in Art and Life by Nicole Tersini, I think is how you say that. It's basically a bunch of historical paintings with text over it, so it's basically turned into a meme about men mansplaining life to women. It sounds hilarious. I saw a couple when I pulled up this article and they were funny. That sounds kind of interesting, like just for like giggles here and again. Yeah. So, like, with historical paintings, if you look at them, the women tend to be shying away from the men in the photos, so it it looks exactly like a woman trying to escape, which is how I would be if someone was mansplaining something to me. But the last piece of actual book news I have is DC Comics are canceling a bunch of comics following massive layoffs. Some of them being Suicide Squad, Aquaman, Teen Titans, and some of the Batman spinoffs. I think it's weird that they would cancel things unless they're not making money for them. Because, like, you got to think that there are still fans out there that want, like, closure to this series as they've been reading. Well, the company said that they're going to be focusing on franchise brand content. Which people have speculated to mean that if something's being put into production for a movie, they'll come up with the comics to follow so it's like whatever is going to become a movie and do well and sell well they're going to start making comics for or they'll continue making more comics for which i think is really selling out but they did just have a ton of layoffs so i can understand having to cut things when you do layoff Right, but at the same time, it's like you can maybe just extend out how long the projects are going to take instead of just canceling them. Yeah. Because you got to think a majority of those movies were based off of, go figure, original comics. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know... But a lot of people who are getting into DC and other comics are doing so because of the movies and the shows. They're not doing it just straight from the comics very much. 
Like with us, I'm not a big comics person, but I am impatiently waiting for the old guard by nub to get here, despite the fact that it said it shipped this weekend and it's gone nowhere. <laughs> so we're a perfect example of that. And the cancellations will start to take effect in October and November. So you have a little time, I guess, to try to wrap something up, but not a lot. Yeah, it it's really gives them like, what, maybe two or three issues left to close it off, depending on how quickly you can publish them. It's not really enough time in my mind. But I thought that this week we could do another tag. And then next week I'll probably talk about new releases okay. for September. For this one, it's a short tag. It's called the Reading Habits Tag. You don't really have a lot of reading habits, so we'll see if you have any answers for these. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. It has nothing to do with books. Oh, okay. I mean, it obviously has to do with books. Just reading habits. I was like, what? Huh? Reading habits, but not which books specifically. Gotcha. So the first question is, do you have a certain place at home that you read in? Mostly on the side of the couch. I, from time to time, will like be weird and lay down my back on the couch and then put my feet up somewhere. Mm-hmm. But It's the couch. Yeah, For both most, of us, it's pretty much the couch. Mostly the couch. From time to time, like if Liberty wants to watch something on YouTube and I'm reading, I'll go back to the bedroom and read, but mostly the couch. Yeah. Do you use a bookmark or a random piece of paper? So... Prior to current times, it was a piece of paper, but now it is more bookmark. Yeah. In this house, we respect bookmarks. Yes. Now, this third one, we're going to have different answers for, and it's, can you just stop reading, or do you have to stop at the end of a chapter or after a certain amount of pages? I cannot stop in the middle of something. I have to wait till it's the end of the chapter, the end of whatever's happening, the action has to be done. I cannot just put the book down. I used to be like that, but I've had to adapt because you read at a different speed than I do. And sometimes the chapters are different lengths. So you'll finish your chapter and you'll sit there and just kind of like huff and puff and like kind of get a look on your face of like, come on, are you, aren't you done with yours? You had less pages. I'm like, I'm a slower reader. And I don't think just, I huff and puff. I'm not a wolf. Body language is there to say the least. And so in turn, I become more of a reader where I can just stop on a dime. I usually have to mark like exactly like I'll move the bookmark to where it's just above the line that I have to continue mm-hmm. on so that I know where to, I exactly left off so I'm not, That's like, rereading things. That just reminded me that, like, in high school I was kind of that way because I had to be that way. So, like, if we finished what we were doing in class for the day and we were allowed to read or whatever or like work free on homework, read, yeah. I would read until the period ended and then I had to stop and go to my next class. So I was kind of like that in high school. Do you eat or drink while you're reading? Yes. Excuse me, those are my Harry Potter books. What are you doing? (laughs) I don't eat. It's more just like drinking water or a Gatorade or something like that while I'm reading. Thanks to the current situation in our apartment, which we're hoping to have fixed this week. It's been unusually hot in our apartment, so I have been keeping water, open water bottle or open Gatorade, like arms full reach out away from where I'm reading the book. So like if it did spill, I would have time to get the book away from whatever it is. But... Yeah, I don't usually close them just because I want to not have to set the book down, put the bookmark in, then open the bottle, then drink it. I just would prefer to just reach out and grab the drink and then put it back. I said sometimes, but I try not to. But sometimes you get so stuck in a book that you can forget to eat, or at least I can. And then you realize that you haven't eaten all day and you have to figure something out. I just love the irony of that because you were like, my books. And then you're like, I I do it. Well, I try not to, but every once in a while I've been stuck in a book where, like, I'm holding the book in front of my face while I'm reaching in the fridge for something because I can't stop to read long enough to find food. Right. So those are the rare moments I do. This one will also have a different answer for multitasking. Do you listen to music or TV while you're reading? So when I'm reading by myself, yes. Mm -hmm. I usually have quiet music playing, whether it be a quieter country music playlist or pop or alternative music. I don't listen to anything loud necessarily because, like, I find that distracting. So, like, I'm not putting on hard rock. I'm not putting on metal. I'm not putting on, like, rap. I'm, I'm usually listening to quieter music. See, I absolutely cannot. Like, I can't listen to anything at all it doesn't matter what it is no sound no tv not even soundtracks for anything i cannot it has to be silent as a grave yeah it 
helps me focus because as somebody who never was diagnosed but realistically probably has some form of ADD because my attention is all over the place always it kind of distracts my distracting part of my brain I guess is the way I put it like it it keeps it busy while I'm actually doing the things I want to do like reading the way I understand it is like for a normal brain normal in quotes Something like that can be distracting, but for a hyperactive brain, the distracting thing is to be sitting with nothing else happening, which I don't get, but I just, I can't. It makes my head want to explode because I try to focus on everything all at once, and I think that has something to do with my auditory processing problems. So, like, my ears sort of pick up everything at the same volume, even if they're at different volumes. Yeah. So, like, it feels like everything's happening at once. We'll call it what it is, your superhuman hearing capabilities. I don't think that's it. One book at a time or several at once. So I haven't tested that, but in the past, I have been able to read multiple books at once. Um, more recently, it's definitely one book at a time, currently. I... Don't like reading more than one book at once, but I can do it. Like when I was doing the Owl's Magical Readathon in April, I would read one book normally during the day and then read one or two Irish folk tales at night as part of those two separate proms. And that was fine, but if it were two fantasy books or something like that, I could never do it because everything would get mixed up in my brain. Yeah, I definitely did it more when I was younger and I had more time to read. I think the dilemma I have now is I'm trying to power through Harry Potter so much that like if I even take my focus off of it for a second, I'm never going to get the chapters done in time. So yeah, well, and you're at the point in Harry Potter, I think that it's just all the books are so long, it's going to take you way too much time to, to try deviate. to read multiple books. Yeah. Do you just read at home or everywhere? Right now, just at home. I have in the past read in different places. I have some books in e-copy from Nook, so I had the capability of reading in other places. I just don't do it. I enough. mostly read at home, but I find that I don't like reading when I'm out and about because I normally don't have the time. If I can't read more than one or two pages at a time, then I don't want to bother because why dive in and out of a story that quickly? Right. And when I went to the pharmacy this last time to pick up my prescriptions and ended up having to wait half an hour, I had my ebook and I was fine. Right. But if I don't have at least half an hour, it seems like a waste of time. Yeah, I definitely can argue that point as well. I feel like I, like on my lunches at work, I sit down and I eat and then I have like two or three minutes left to myself and it's like, go back to work. Yeah, so I try to decompress. Just... I, I feel like I wouldn't be giving the book a fair chance with two or three minutes left. Well, and I sort of had a problem kind of like that when I was helping take care of my mom after her surgery last month because I could read a handful of pages at once, but then it was constantly doing this and taking care of that and running to the store or whatever. So it's like, I think that did make me enjoy the book less just simply because I could only do five or six pages at a time. Yeah, you weren't settling into the actual world. You were just kind of getting bits and pieces through the entire time. Yeah. Do you read out loud or silently in your head? If you read out loud while I was trying to read, I might kick you in the nose. I might start reading out loud just <laughs> for fun. You know, that that could be entertaining in the house. I also feel like I would either be stuck on the couch sleeping for weeks on end as punishment <laughs> or in my car. So I, no, I definitely read in my mind. I don't read out loud. I'm not preaching to you about the holy, you know, words of Harry Potter by any means, so... Well, I read silently, and again, that might have something to do with my auditory stuff, but I just, I can't read out loud, and I don't understand someone who would read a book out loud to themselves. Like, if I find a funny section in the book, I'll read it to you that I think mm -hmm. is funny, and then you'll, obviously with Harry Potter, you know practically every sentence and every word in each way that it's written in every single book, but you definitely enjoy hearing some of the silly yeah. things that I think are silly. I I like to know what you like about the book. Yeah. And usually that's when I read things out loud. Do you ever read ahead or even skip pages? No, that is a big no-no for me. I do not like to be spoiled on things. Even if it ends up being that the turn in the book is god-awful, I would rather experience it being god-awful than like jumping ahead and yeah. be like, man, I've got to read all this crap to get to this nonsense. Like, I feel like I would probably DNF more books if I did that that way. Yeah, I just said absolutely not. No way. 
Do you break the spine or keep it like new? I am guilty of definitely folding the spine a little aggressively. I know you're going to hate me for that on your new Harry Potter books, but I'm more the one that would say I probably break the spine. I don't I don't mean to do it. I'm just reading the book and like when the book closes on itself, it drives me absolutely batty. My thing is, I said that I never intentionally break a spine, but I read my books, is how I put it. Because you could barely crack open a book and try to read it like that. People do it all the time. And I can't read a book like that. Like, I have to open it to be able to read it. I'm gonna do that. I feel like I'd have to keep turning the book to read the pages to keep from doing that. So I'd be like, okay, that page is done. Turn the book. And, like, that would get old really quick turning the book at 90 degrees to be able to read pages. I feel like it would just be silly. Do you write in your books, considering you don't have books, really? A, no, I've never written in a book. I, for, like, study reasons when I was in college and in high school, of course, you put down, like, the little sticky notes to, like, mark certain pages Mm -hmm. for things. And from time to time, I would even write what paragraph I was referencing, like, what number down the Mm -hmm. page. Because then I would know what I was looking for. But in a normal book, no, I feel like that's defacing the book. And I I think we covered this on the last tag a little bit. I mean, if it's your property, I don't see the problem with it. As long as you're not planning on selling it. And I have done it. I sometimes do it. It's really rare. It has to be something that, like, really speaks to me or really impacts me in some way for me to, like, underline it or write in it. And it's okay for you to be wrong. I don't think that's right. You shouldn't do that to a book. What did the book ever do to you to deserve tattoos all over itself? I think you should do whatever feels right to you (laughs) for your own property. Do I ever write in a book that's not mine? Never. Yeah. Because that is for sure wrong. That's against book law. Yeah. Yeah. But that was all the questions on the tag. Nice short one. Yeah, pretty short tag, but gets the point across to some things that we haven't discussed, so... This past week you read through, is it chapter 26 of Goblet of Fire? Yeah, 16 to 26, so 10 Mm. chapters. Ended up being a little over 250 some odd pages. Yeah, I am glad you got through that because it looked for a minute there like you wouldn't. Read through from chapter 16 all the way to 26, which again ended up being a little over 250 pages. And I agree, I think there was a lot of good stuff in these chapters, so... Starting off right off the bat, like, you immediately get thrown into the Goblet of Fire coming to existence. The fun beard experience with Fred and George, which was fantastic. They're like, well, we'll take a potion that'll make us older. And then totally made them super old, like beard, like old man beard and all. Well, that had nothing to do with the potion. No, it had to do with crossing the the age line, yeah. And I love that Lee Jordan was like, he's like, aren't you going to try? I'm like, no. Yeah, no. Let's watch Fred and George turn into old bearded men. So no, I'm good. It was interesting to hear that bit of pieces of it. And like in turn, it, it creates a lot of drama for Harry being picked as the fourth person out of the goblet. Like, I think it's a weird scene because like there's a lot of dramatic pauses, it seems, like coming up to when Harry is actually, it spits his name out of it. Because you have the three other champions already listed and yeah. named. And then it's like... All right, and that's it. Except it's not. And then the goblet's like, gotcha, one more. And so it's just weird that, like, clearly the goblet has got to be bewitched in some way to spit out a fourth name. Well, it's tricked into thinking there's a fourth school school in the Tri-Wizard Championship. Yeah, which is weird because three is kind of the basis of everything. The Tri-Wizard, you know, how could it be four? Yeah. But it gets picked, and the... Group leaders, uh, like the representation of the other schools, both the representatives for the champions and the heads of the schools are like losing their minds. They're like, this is ridiculous. He's cheating. He's cheated it. How did he do it? Blah, blah, blah. And Harry's like, guys, I didn't do it. I didn't do any of it. I don't know what you're talking about. I think it's funny. Harry's always accused of doing magic that he cannot do. Like, he's not old enough. He's not wise enough. He doesn't have enough practice. It happened in the second one. It's happening in this one. Yeah. It's definitely funny to see how everybody's blaming him. And it's a little sad, a little depressing, actually, that everybody is kind of hating on Harry. And Harry's just sitting there like, guys, I seriously didn't do any of this. Yeah. Like, Ron is beyond upset at Harry because it's like, oh, taking the limelight again. And he's like, I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want that attention. I promise you. See, 
to a degree, I can understand Ron because he's always been in the shadows of his brothers. So he was finally getting to experience something with Harry and like neither one of them were going to be in the spotlight. It was just going to be, be like them bros having being fun, bros. Yeah. watching this event happen. And then of course, of course, Harry gets shoved into the limelight and Ron felt excluded. So I can kind of understand this because he doesn't want to be in his brother's shadow but then his best friend is someone that casts an even longer shadow so like how do you juggle those emotions right and i think it's funny that ludo bagman is like yes harry's in it it's gonna be so good for the press and attention and like that's that's really the reason he cares he doesn't care that harry's actually in it Uh, maybe a little bit there's another reason i just can't tell you because it's a spoiler okay well i'm not that far in so please don't yet i said i couldn't tell you i appreciate it And then Moody comes in and is just kind of like, listen, guys, we can't force him not to compete. He has to. It's an unbreakable contract. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, Harry would be killed if he didn't compete in it or what. But, like, it doesn't sound nice. It just sounds like you can't break it to me. Right, Right. exactly. He has to compete. And then he comes back to the common room and everybody's losing their mind. Like, this is the greatest. Harry's a champion. He's representing Gryffindor. He's going to win all the things because he's Harry. I feel like that would be a vastly different experience if Harry was in another house. I feel like they would be like mad at him for cheating or something. I just, I don't think he'd get the same sort of adoration if it was anywhere other than Gryffindor. Yeah, and then you see the hate with Ron and Harry kind of exist at the end of that scene, which is kind of a bummer because, like, they're the bros of the story and you never want to see the bros hate each other. It's, like, a little down. Well, you don't want to see friends fight. And this is another fight between people in the trio. And I love that Hermione, the very next morning, is like, I know you didn't do it. Here's some toast. Yeah. Let's go talk about why Ron's mad at you. She was totally being the mom between the two of them. Like, like, listen, he's mad because of this. You're outshining him limelight-wise every single year. And he wants to think that he's an equal with you. And, like, the the limelight is always taken away from him. Ron barely got any kudos for that Wizards chess match that he won. Like, I'm sorry. that Without that, Harry doesn't get to where he was. Yeah, no. Ron is integral to Harry's success. So as he's walking through school, he's basically being harassed everywhere because everybody thinks he's a cheater and he doesn't deserve to be there. So much so that the Slytherins even make a name badge that says Cedric Diggory, the real Hogwarts champion. And then after that, it says Potter stinks. Yeah. I love the creativity. I hate Malfoy for doing things like this. But at the same time, I think it's kind of funny because like if everybody's going to tease him, might as well profit off it a little bit. um, Sounds like a little rich kid. And then Harry and Malfoy get into a fight, and it goes poorly for everybody but them, pretty much, it seems like. Goyle ends up with boils, which I think is a great play on words. When when I read that, I was like, all right, good writing there. And then Hermione's front teeth grow to, like, above beaver proportion in comparison. At one point, I believe it says that they go down to her collarbones. Yeah. Like, that's horrifying. Yeah. They have the reader Skeeter interview in the closet. Yeah. With Harry while they're supposed to be getting ready to have their wands weighed. Which I think was a weird term considering they didn't actually weigh the wands. They were just like, do they work? The quality checking of the wands? What else do you want it to be called? QA testing of wands? I don't know. But I'm like, of all places you choose a closet to interview him? Like, that's the weirdest privacy place I've ever heard for an interview in my entire life. It was probably the only open room nearby. I guess. Open door, more or less. Obviously, then you have the weighing of the wands. You have Ollivander show up, and he's, like, putting them all to test and making them do silly magic things, which I thought was pretty great. Fleur de Lacour's wand ends up, like, flowers, I believe is what it is. He hands it back to her or something like that. But, yeah, it was it was just funny to watch the different things. I've always been really interested in wand lore, so I like seeing what everyone's wands are and the fact that you can have a Vila core and... A lot of basic wand lore is learned through Ollivander's techniques, so it's interesting to see a different wand maker's technique of using a Vila hair versus a unicorn hair or a phoenix tail feather or a dragon heartstring. So, right, yeah, I definitely enjoyed that panel that we went to when we went to LeakyCon. LeakyCon. It was definitely enjoyable to be on that one for sure. I didn't understand most of it because I was new to the Harry Potter world roughly, but I tried to soak as much of it in as I could. So It was also a packed event. 
Yeah, I didn't expect it to be quite that full, but, you know. I mean, to a degree it makes sense because wand lore is more important towards the end of the series, but it is important. So I think that that would probably be why it draws such a crowd for conferences and stuff. And then you have Hagrid send an owl to Harry with a note basically saying, like, come to my house at this time out of the blue, which is kind of weird. And Harry's like, all right, I'll wear my cloak and come down there and see what things are going on. He was obviously concerned the whole time about his meeting with Sirius because they kind of were like butted up against each other very closely. Yeah, one right after the other. And Hagrid goes up to the, is it Beau Baton? Beau Baton. I'll get there one year. And I'm glad you said year and not day because yeah. that's how long it's going to take you. Yeah. Anyway. And he goes and gets Madame Maxine as well, but Harry is obviously invisible, so he's following the two of them to wherever Hagrid's taking them. I was like, Hagrid, why are you helping people cheat? I'm like, what the crap, dude? Um, well, he likes her. Well, yeah. Obviously, later on, we'll discuss she doesn't like him nearly as much as we thought due to a thing he says. But anyways, they end up seeing the dragons and one More of the we- Charlie. I was going to say one of the Weasleys has appeared. One of my favorite Weasleys. And he's going over the different dragon breeds with Hagrid and going like, and this one's the worst. So like Harry's like, oh, I hope I don't get that one. Like immediately, like, I hope I don't get that one. Yeah. He ends up coming back and realizing, like, a little bit of guilt because he knows after running into Karkaroff on the way back that everybody knows except for Cedric that they're going to be dragons. And so he goes to Cedric and he's like, the way he gets his attention is fantastic because he uses a spell and it makes his bag brand new bag break and drop his crap all over the floor for all of his classes. And I thought that was kind of funny because I was just like, it's the only way you're going to get him away from a group right now. So good move. He explains to Cedric, like, hey, listen, I know that there's going to be dragons. I'm telling you because everybody else already knows. And Cedric's like, I wonder if he's screwing with me. I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, really? I mean, they're technically competing with each other. Right. For the same school, though, as champions. Like, But they're still competing against each other. Sure. I don't think at that point Harry was really, like, I'm in the competition mode. Like, he was no. more, like, because he didn't think he had a chance of winning this he's thing. He's just trying to survive, but he feels like he's doing the right thing by telling Cedric. And in turn, he's rewarded kind of by Moody because Moody overhears it and is like, it's an honorable thing for you to do and pulls him back into his classroom. And like, he goes, well, how am I going to beat a dragon? Do you know any way to help me beat a dragon? And Moody's like, I can't help you, but you need to play to your strengths. And he's like, what does that mean? And he goes, you'll figure it out type of thing. And I'm like, gosh, darn Moody being so mysterious all the time, like just like half giving hints to things. Harry then realizes that, well, I'm really good at Quidditch. Like, I could use my broom. And Moody's like, you go. (laughs) And so he runs back to Hermione, and Hermione being the brains of the operation for a lot of their relationship and decision-making process as a group of three. He's like, how do I get my broom from my room? Because all I'm allowed to have is my wand. Yeah. And she's like, summoning charm, let's go practice. And for like a whole 24-hour period, they're just having things fly across rooms in an empty classroom to try to figure out how to you know, master this Osseo charm to get the actual broom to come to him from all the way up in the castle. There's actually debate as to whether it's Osseo or Akio. Yeah. But it's the summoning charm. I'm sorry. Don't mean to make anybody angry with your personal opinions and pronunciations of I'm just saying that you can pronounce it either way, and it will probably be wrong. They end up getting to the tent at that point in time, and they have to pick out of a bag random figurines of dragons. But... The dragons move. Yes. They're so cute. Well, I, I haven't seen pictures of them, so I really don't know. But it's a know. little figurine of a dragon that moves. It's cute. Yeah. Harry ends up picking the one that he didn't want. And the Hungarian horned tail. Mm-hmm. The angriest one, because he can not only kill you with fire in his teeth, but also the tail that he has with all the horns on it. And they're told that they have to capture a golden egg from underneath the dragon's protection. And Harry is last. So he gets to hear everybody's successes and just doesn't understand, like, how quick a good time is for it and how well they actually are doing because they're being taken to another tent as for medical after for before he even goes out. So he doesn't see anybody else and how they fared. He's just hearing the cheering from the crowd or the ooh noises yeah. from the crowd. So he actually does very well just flying around trying to figure out how he can get this dragon to get into the air 
and then ends up finding a way to do it. The dragon comes up to get him, and then he swoops down and grabs the golden egg, and is like, yay, we win! Yeah. And gets out of there with just a nasty scratch through his shoulder. He fared pretty well, considering he was not of age and not prepared to fight a dragon. Technically, he didn't fight a dragon. He evaded a dragon. Until he won. And he ended up doing it in the fastest time, and Karkaroff will punk and we'll keep it at that and not any of the other words that are going through my brain. Literally downgraded Harry's performance just to allow that, you know, Victor Crumb to also be still in competition for first place, which I think was a little slimy. Yeah. Well, a lot of older wizards end up making a lot of what I would call mistakes during the Triwizard Tournament. One of them being Karkaroff being biased, but also one of them being adults helping people who are in the competition. That aren't supposed to be helping them at all. No one's supposed to be helping. Right. He ends up going back at the beginning of chapter 21. He's back in the common room. Everybody's losing their damn minds. Are you forgetting something? Am I? Did they not make up in the medical tent? Oh, yes. Ron and and Harry. Harry make up. They Ron realizes, like, you couldn't be stupid enough to put your own name into this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, clearly you're not the one that did that. And they became bros again. They were always bros. They just were separated for a minute or two. Anyways, they, the two of them end up coming back to the common room with the golden egg that is the next clue for the next task. Yep. Everybody's like, open it up, we'll hear it, and we can maybe all work together and try to figure it out type of thing in the celebration. And they open it up, and it just shrieks a god-awful noise. I can only imagine somebody like you with migraines would just be like, close it, close it, close it, close it, close it. <laughs> as did everybody else yeah. in the, the common room. And in turn, like, forget it, we're just going to celebrate, like, celebration, party. I can't remember Fred and or George's line about Percy in the shower. Like, Percy singing in the shower is what that sounds like. Yeah, something along those something lines. Something like that. Yeah. So they figure that all out and that they're not going to be able to just get any answers from this egg, clearly, from the screech goes on. Hermione drags Harry and Ron down to the kitchen after the twins have given her the password to try to help the... Well, it's not a password. Like... They have to tickle the pair. Yeah, tickle the pair. So, like, the way to enter the kitchens. And she drags them down there really, really fast, and they're like, God, we're not going to be a part of your liberation front, you know, for the, the kitchen... Or, sorry, for the house elves. And they get there, and both... Is it... Winky and Dobby are both down there, and Harry's like, Dobby! And he's a little concerned, like, what's going to happen next? Because, obviously, anything with Dobby is a little frightening as to what's going to go on a little bit. There's always disaster on the horizon to an extent. Um, They play catch-up and talk about how he's enjoying being free and how he ended up working in the kitchen because he realized he needed something to do, and Dumbledore was like, you can come work for us and we'll even pay you. (laughs) So... And Hermione's like, well, maybe the rest of them will get the hint and realize they need to be paid, like, type stuff. So, pretty bland chapter was more or less just Winky hating on herself and Dobby being like, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually really like stuff like that. I think it's a lot of world building for me, and it's seeing part of the castle you never got to see before. It's not super action-packed like you want, but still. And it's also not the most important, like, to the storyline coming with, like, what the importance of the kitchen is, I guess. Maybe there's going to be more in the kitchen scenes later, but, like, it seemed like it wasn't that crucial beyond I'm... the fact that it introduced that Dobby's back. I mean, I think it does three things for you. One is finding out Dobby's back. Two is finding out where Winky ends up. And three, it lays groundwork for something that happens in book seven. But the event doesn't actually take place in the kitchen. Yeah. And then in chapter 22, at more or less the very beginning, you get McGonagall announcing the Yule Ball, which I know is your favorite. Your favorite time because Christmas. And Harry finds out that no matter what, he has to find a date. And so much so that McGonagall, like, pulls him in after the class leaves. Like, listen, you you have have to to find a date and dance. And he's like, I don't even know how to dance. I don't want to dance. (laughs) Immediately in his mind, he's like, I'm going to ask Cho Chang because I like her. And the dilemma is he's very afraid of asking her in front of all of her friends. And it ends up... Teenage boys. And it ends up costing him because Cedric is going to be the one that ends up going to the U-Ball with Cho Chang. 
which happens after he finally muscles up the strength to just ask. The sad thing is, Cho's like, I would have if I wasn't already going with somebody. And it's like, stupid. You are stupid. You should have just had the confidence to it. And he comes back to the common room, and Ron is also like, down in the dumps, like, I can't find anybody. Albeit, this is after Harry turned down, like, seven or eight girls who were interested in, like, going with him. Albeit, most of them going with him because... He's a champion and they want to be a part of that. I mean, I don't know. I feel like he should have just automatically asked and then when she said no, pick someone else. Yeah. Real easy. The thing is, she probably would have said yes if he would have asked right away. It sounded like that was kind of the way she was leaning. Like, I would totally, but I'm already going with somebody else. Like, you missed your chance. And they get back to the common room and Fred is... Like, what are you guys down in the dumps for? And they're like, well, we haven't found a date for the U-Ball. And he goes, oh, right. Oh, right. Me neither. And they're like, well, how are you going to go about it? And he's just like, hey, Angelina, shouts from one end of the room to the other and goes, will you go to the U-Ball with me? And she kind of looks him over like, "Mm, I guess so. Like, you're acceptable type of a response. I think they both probably already liked each other at that point. And he was just being his normal silly self. And she she played along with it. Yeah. And both Ron and Harry are like, it's not that easy. (laughs) (laughs) It is for Fred, apparently. Yeah. And so Parvati comes in with Lavender, and Lavender's already going with somebody else. But Harry walks up and asks Parvati if he or she would go with him as the date to the Yule Ball. And he's like, the stipulation being, since Lavender's already going with somebody, can we get somebody else to go with Ron? Do you know anybody else that hasn't been invited yet? Yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, I don't think my twin sister's been asked by anybody. I'll see. Yeah. And that's who ends up going with Ron, obviously. I feel bad for Ron because it's kind of like, dude, you struck out so many times. Firstly, like, the first pick he made was Flor de la Cours. Like, really, dude? Like, she's out of your league, bro. She's part Vila, and yeah. then you're just going to run up to her and be like, hey. She has her pick of the litter, let's be honest. Well, and how quickly she must have been asked by how many guys. Like, you waited until you were down to the wire and to, then you ask someone who was taken, ask, like, five minutes into the announcement. Yeah, to who's being asked, like, let's be honest, as defined in a lot of the book as the most beautiful person on the school campus now. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, come on, you you didn't think you actually had a chance, did you, Ron? <laughs> You're probably a great guy, but as are the hundreds of people that probably asked her. Yeah. <laughs> and Ron ends up, like, I, I was going to say editing, because we're here recording a podcast, but, like, fixing up his dress robes and oh, removing yeah. the lace because he's, like, it's too frilly and girly type of a thing. So. Yeah. And Hermione this whole time is, like, I'm going with somebody. And no one believes her. And nobody believes her. Like, yeah, sure you are, Hermione. Like, of course you're going with somebody. And then it ends up being Victor Crumb. Mic drop. Like, yeah. it was so great. Like, just the look on Ron's face and Harry's face, I could only fathom. They're like, who's the beautiful girl with Victor Crumb? And they're like, oh, my God, that's Hermione. (laughs) That's the friend you see on a daily basis, jerk. Yeah. You've been doubting her looks the entire time. And she's just like, yeah, everybody's like, she's gorgeous. How did this happen? I like that Neville goes with Jenny. Yes. Jenny probably really wanted to go, but she was being kept out because of her age. Right. And the only thing that got her in was accepting his invitation. But at the same time, like, I think they're kind of sweet. Yeah. together like obviously i don't like them as a couple but i thought that was cute that they went together and then you have lavender and seamus yes yeah which was probably a fun couple to enjoy a little bit of silliness with i think seamus should have gone with dean <laughs> that's a whole nother story for another day yes when you're random ships it's not a random ship but all right yeah so the u-ball's happening uh mr Crouch is ill, doesn't end up attending, and another Weasley appears. Percy is back for his last, another additional service to the to Hogwarts for some way, shape, yeah, or form. Yeah, you see all the Weasleys at Hogwarts. Yeah. Pretty that, much. It's kind of weird, but Ron and Harry, uh, Ron doesn't end up dancing at all with anybody. He's sitting there, and his date's like, come on, let's go dance, and he's like, no, why would I do a stupid thing like that? Well, he's being a grumpy, jealous jerk the whole time. Yeah. And then Harry dances the first dance because he has to. And then after that, bails more or less on his date as well. And two boys from the school from France show up and they're like, well, we'll take your dates. 
Beaubaton. Yeah, I don't want to butcher it anymore. I, I feel know. bad. <laughs> and so Harry and Ron sit around and like skulk about things, and Hermione comes over, and Ron's being a little prick. Yeah. That's a good word for it. And Hermione storms off, and then Victor Crumb comes over, like, being sweet as a button. Like, can't say Hermione's name to save his life, which I think is the funniest thing in the entire world. Yeah, he's cute. And he's like, I brought Butterbeer. Where is she? You know, like, where'd she go? And they're like, we don't know. I'm like, you monsters, you know exactly which direction she just went. Yeah. Poor Crumb. He does not get the treatment he deserves in this book or later on. Yeah. I don't know about the later on, but I know about this book so far. Yep. It's kind of poor poor treatment. So then Harry and Ron wander off. They're like, I, we're done with this crap. We're out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, bah. They find Snape and Karkaroff being kind of weird. They can't really get close enough to really hear 100% what they're saying. They're just getting bits and pieces of it. And then they also see Fleur de la Cour hooking up with her date. Roger Davies. Roger Davies in the bushes. Gosh, man. Can't even find a room. Just in the middle of a bush. Teenagers. What are they going to do? Yeah. Clearly. Then Hagrid comes out with Madame Maxime, and they're having, like, a real good conversation starting. Like, he's, you know, Hagrid not realizing that it's a sore subject to talk about giants and how they're both gigantic. Mm -hmm. Like, she clearly has not accepted the fact that, like, it's not a bad thing to be half-giant. And Hagrid's like, yeah, I'm half-giant. I mean, on my mom's side, like the world at that point has a prejudice against any half anything. So, like, I can understand her being afraid of admitting it. Yeah. And she storms off in a rage. And Ron and Harry are like, "What was wrong with that? Like, mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't the smoothest approach to the conversation, but like, there should be nothing wrong with this." As well, in that chapter, you get the. Cedric giving Harry a tip back related to the egg and it being needing to be underwater. And Harry's like, again, the same way Cedric was, like, why would he tell me this? Well, on top of that, you've got Harry's jealousy, but then Cedric's not really being super open about this. Like, he's still Harry kind of keeping it close. Dragons. Yeah. It's dragons. Cedric went, take a bath. Here's the password to get in. To the prefix bath. bath. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not the same level of help. Yeah. Like, Cedric's trying to help him, obviously, but not also spill the beans at the same time. Yeah. And so in the next chapter, you get a lot of Harry just pushing off the idea of having to be concerned about the egg at all. Yeah. And, and then, like, it just kind of continues into him just pushing it off, pushing it off, and then realizing, oh, crap, I need to figure this out. Procrastination never wins. You also have Hagrid ditching his care of magical creatures class and the substitute who brings a unicorn and... The unicorn only ends up liking girls, so the guys are just sitting there like, great, we can do nothing. Let's sit here and watch the girls have fun. I would like that class. Yeah, you wouldn't, because you'd probably be allergic. (laughs) I would probably be allergic. I don't know. We haven't ever tested it, have we? No, I don't know of any unicorns that currently exist or have ever existed in the world, so... Gotta fix that problem first. Yeah. And then while they're in Hogsmeade as well in that chapter, Ludo Bagman's like, I can help you, I can help you, I can help you. Help you, Which he shouldn't be. And Harry's like, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. I don't want any of your help. I'd rather figure this out on my own. As well, he's already been offered help by Cedric in a weird kind of sideways way. Well, and he's also trying to save face and act like he doesn't need any help because he's got it all figured out. Yeah. And they run into Rita Skeeter. Rita Skeeter's like being an awful human being. Being a witch. Let's call her what she is. A, a not good witch. A bad witch. Yeah. And taking everything out of context, the article comes out about Hagrid being half giant and all that crap as well during that chapter. And Hagrid's just deep down in the dumps in the toilet. And when they come back during that chapter, they both Hermione... Ron and Harry go to Hagrid's house, bang on the door, and then Dumbledore opens the door, and everybody's like, what? You don't live here. (laughs) Yeah. He's trying to make Hagrid feel better about all the crap that's going on. We don't think you're a monster. We think you're a good person. They're never going to kick you out or stop your teaching and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, everybody loved the substitutes class and just being super down on himself. And everybody's just trying to cheer him up, more or less, and persuading him to come back and teach. And it gets to the point where Harry's like, oh, crap, I need to get this. I need to figure out what the clue is, like, immediately. And finally believes Cedric and goes to the baths. And has fun playing with all the different variants of Mm -hmm. smells and bubbles and things. I also enjoy this chapter just because it's more of the world-building stuff that I like. 
Well, and you get a little bit of silliness because you find out that Moaning Myrtle isn't just more or less attached to that bathroom. It's more plumbing related anything. <laughs> and She's a perv. She's a little bit of a perv. A little dirty. Yeah, 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 definitely. And he's like, did you see me get naked and get in the bath? And she's like, no, maybe type of response. And he's like, turn around, turn around. I'm going to get out and get the egg and... Moaning Myrtle, after he tries to open it above the water, is like, no, stupid, you can't just be in the bath holding it above the water. It needs to be underwater. Like, I watched Cedric do it. Yeah. So Moaning Myrtle ends up being more helpful than Cedric is by utilizing how stupid Cedric is for not realizing that Moaning Myrtle was there watching. What's funny is Harry cracks the whole thing, and Moaning Myrtle says something along the lines of, yeah, you solved it must, much faster than Cedric Diggory did. The bubbles were nearly all gone by the time he figured it out. Yeah. I'm like, stop being so creepy. Yeah. The only reason he solved it so fast is because you literally told him how to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, Harry would have been there long past the bubbles' existence. Probably. Without help. And then in the process of trying to get back to the common room, some exciting things happen. Yeah, yeah. Harry is going through his map and he sees that Crouch is in Snape's office. And he's like, what is he doing down there? I better go check this out because I'm Harry Potter and I like to get myself into trouble. Well, on top of that, Crouch is supposed to be sick. So what is Crouch doing here at Hogwarts in the middle of the night? Right. And he is sneaking down a set of stairs that has a false stair and he steps into it and it traps his leg. And he's still underneath the invisibility cloak, but he drops the egg. The egg cracks open and starts making the god-awful noise. Filch comes running, you know, because, duh, it's something that Peeves is probably up to. I'm going to go catch Peeves, and the last thing I do is kind of the attitude that he brings to it. Harry's wand is just out of his reach, so he can't get any of the things back or get his leg out. He's just stuck underneath the invisibility cloak. And then Snape shows up, like, somebody's been in my office, it was opened, and blah, 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 so it's losing his stuff. Like, the only person that could open it would be a wizard. There's no way to apparate into my office and all this nonsense. He goes, clearly somebody's out and about causing, you know, heck amongst things. You need to come help me. Filch is like, no, I'm going to catch Peeves. Peeves is the one that's doing all this. I love that they're so focused on their own BS rather than trying to catch the actual act of breaking and entering. I feel mm-hmm. like that would have been more important in my mind. But Filch absolutely hates peeves so well and when snape figures out that the egg is there then he assumes it's harry and he assumes correctly but he can't see through invisibility cloaks unlike some other people that turn up yeah moody ends up showing up and kind of being like seeing harry through the cloak and is like oh (laughs) and starts playing defense for harry and like maybe it was peeves that stole it and so that harry could get away with whatever's going on then Ends up coming up after everybody leaves and going like, here's your egg. I'm going to keep this map because it could come in handy for me. Then ends up letting Harry go after a life lesson of tisk tisk conversation. Yeah. And then he also says that he could be an Auror someday, which I thought was pretty interesting considering... He, he was, was misbehaving at the time? And he got caught, like, practically red-handed. Shy of the fact that he had the cloak, otherwise he would have been toast. Though I will say as an Auror, you have cloaks of invisibility at your... Disposal. Disposal, so... Maybe. Then you have basically the second task that starts after that. Well, I shouldn't say that because you have something that goes on before that. Harry's all night trying to figure out by reading books for like straight weeks at this point, like a week or two. He's reading books, trying to figure out how he's going to be able to breathe underwater. The mermaids fails miserably over and over and over. Can't find anything. Stays up till like two or three in the morning in the library underneath his invisibility cloak. And then realizes that he's not going to find anything in time. And he's still looking and panicking and then he ends up falling asleep. And Dobby wakes him up ten minutes before he's supposed to appear down at the second task. And goes, here's your solution. Convenient. Yeah. It always seems to work out for Harry in some weird, convenient, strange way. And Dobby saves the day because he realizes that Ron is the victim that's going to be underwater. And he likes Ron because of the gift he got from Ron for Christmas. He took your Wheezy. Yeah, the Weasley sweater. Yeah. No, I'm saying... Oh, what Dobby said. Yeah, they they took your Wheezy. They took your Wheezy. Yeah. And during the second task, you have Harry obviously turning into half-fish, half-human, more or less. He gets gills and all that stuff. 
And so he's swimming faster than most of the other contestants, even though they got a head start on him. In turn, gets there before everybody else because he's got webbed feet and webbed hands and more or less he's a fish man. I would almost describe him as like a swamp thing. It's kind of a good comparison with all the webbing. They do it sort of all right in the movie. You'll see. Yeah. And he gets there before everybody else. And so he gets there and all these mermen are like sitting there with sharp objects to try to cut Ron out of the kelp that he's tied to this statue of a giant merman underneath the water he's trying to get their sharp objects their spears to try to cut him out and they're like no and they're laughing at him and stuff like you can't use that so he finds a rock cuts out ron turns around as he's trying to rescue ron and realizes nobody else is in sight to saving the others and the time is running low so he starts to try to cut other people out and the merman start attacking him and obviously he can't speak underwater so like He's trying to shout at the merman to, like, back off, and all that's coming out of bubbles of air, uh, which I thought was a pretty pretty funny scene. Then he counts down with the fingers like an angry mom would, three, two, and he's pointing his wand at them like, I will use magic. And so they back off and leave him be. As he's trying to get back to cutting people out, I believe it's Victor Crumb that shows up first because he's, like, partial shark, partial human transfiguration. Yes, he did a head-only transfiguration. Yeah, he's trying to bite the kelp off of... Hermione, but because he's a shark, his teeth are layered inwards, so he's not able to do it very well without risking taking a chunk out of Hermione. So he points down at the rock that he was using, and, you know, he grabs the rock, gets Hermione out. And at that time, he's, like, trying to then get Cho out, because Cho Chang is one of the other people that's attached to the statue. All of a sudden, you have Cedric Diggory show up with a bubble over his head. He gets there, and he helps Diggory get Cho out. Then he turns around, and again, no signs of Floor anywhere. She's not anywhere in sight. He doesn't know this. He thinks that they're going to be dead. Yeah. And he sees it's just being a little girl, and he pulls her out and brings both Ron and her to the surface. And as he's coming to the surface, the gillyweed is starting to wear off. He's like struggling almost out of breath. Gets to the surface just magically and Ron kind of comes to and helps him swim in Flora's sister is who it is, I believe, right? Yes, Gabrielle. The two of them get a kiss from Flo and then Hermione's jealous, which I think was kind of funny. The leader of the Mer people, she comes out and explains to the judges like what actually happened and why Harry was the last one. And they reward him more points for being honorable and trying to save them all. Yeah. But that pretty much wraps up chapter 26 at that point. There's really not much that goes on after that, other than everybody getting blankets and towels from Madame Pomfrey to try to warm them up from the cold lake. But overall, I I enjoyed, I think, this section a little more than I did the first section of the chapters that I, I read. But in fairness, the beginning chapters were really setting a lot of the wood, like the, the groundwork up for this section. Yeah. So obviously we still have the third task and then whatever else goes on in between it at this point. So I'm excited for that. But as it we sits, also have what happens after the third task. But yes. Well, I don't want any spoilers, so we'll avoid it. At currently, my mind will be set that there's the third task, and then it's over, and then we'll find out what actually ends up happening at the mm-hmm. end. But so far, I'm enjoying this book a lot. It is definitely long-winded. There are some scenes that I think could have been removed from the book, but for the most part, they're important, everything that's there. I think they're all important. I think a lot of it is world-building, and I think that if you weren't so focused on the action, you would appreciate it. Yeah, I I can understand that as well. Like, I'm enjoying the world building, and I think there are, again, are things that are important. Like, I'm glad they brought Dobby back, and they set you up for understanding that Dobby will be a character in the future as well, because he's going to be working there the entire time. So I think that was an important scene. I just, uh, I was referencing some of, like, the smaller classroom scenes that really, I don't think, needed to exist too much. Like, the scene of doing the opposite of summoning things, like shooting, like, pillows across the room into a basket, Mm -hmm. like... That really seemed like a pretty stupid scene overall. Like, it wasn't really necessary. It was just Hermione being like, look, I can do magic better than everybody else. <laughs> and then Harry That's got lucky. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, I'm enjoying it a lot. I still think I like Prisoner of Azkaban more. But I think it was just because it seemed like it was shorter and more action-y. And I think that's why I like it. Okay. But that's just my personality when it comes to reading. And we shouldn't be shocked by that. Yeah. Well, you're going to end up finishing that for next week. I should be able to, yes. Yeah. As for what I have been reading, I managed to read three books this past week, which is really good. The first one I read was The Candle in the Flame by Nafisa Azad, which I ended up rating 2.75 stars, which is 
okay, it's not great. I think I went in expecting something similar to City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty and other eastern desert fantasies. And this one, I felt like I was being talked down to the whole time. But at the same time, it felt like there was no, like, rising action, climax, and then falling action. It just felt like we were plodding along the whole time. And so that was particularly frustrating. And I understand now why this was only a one book and done sort of situation. Like there's nowhere you could have gone after it ended. I'm kind of shocked. You'd think of a book that just was very flat and boring. Most of the book would have set up for like something in a second book. Like, and here's the things that are happening that we've been talking about this I whole mean, time. I mean, you would have these tiny events that happened, but they're so minuscule that it's like, okay, and... I don't know. I think maybe I would have liked it more if I hadn't read as many Eastern fantasies, as many um, yeah, desert had, fantasies as I've read. You had good previous experiences. If this had been the first one, I think it would have set it up for success more. Right. The second book I read last week was The Code for Love and Heartbreak by Jillian Cantor. I rated it four stars. I got it off NetGalley as an arc, and I really enjoyed it. It is really hard for a contemporary to get anything above a four star for me. So that's like the best that I could have given this book pretty much. Okay. So it scored for well. Me. Yeah. Instead of contemporaries being one through five star rating, I think mine are more like one through four because I never give anything that's a contemporary more than four. So this is the highest I could rate a contemporary technically for my standards. Okay. And it's an Emma retelling, and basically this girl is really good with math and coding and that sort of thing. And for her coding club for the year, she decides to what her sister calls code a boyfriend. So she basically makes this matchmaking app to put on everyone's phone in her high school. And so it just is matching up people in the high school together so it's not like other dating apps it's just who you mathematically make the most sense with at school that's crazy Mm -hmm. and they take it to their coding competitions and stuff and things go from there it was really cute i really liked it it wasn't as heavily focused on the coding as i would have expected which i appreciate since i'm not into that yeah i was gonna say that could be not fun for you because you're like you like technology just when it works and not have to actually make it work yeah (laughs) yeah Things need to work the way they're supposed to work. Yeah. And the last book I read this past week was The Bone Season by Samantha Shannon. I rated this 3.5 stars. I think this is the oldest book on my TBR. I had gotten this book about five years ago, and I finally read it. It's been on a handful of TBRs over the years, and I finally read it. I'm going to have to put in like a round of applause sound effect or something like that in the episode for you on this. And so, like, I'm excited that I read it, but I think if I had read it back when I got it, I would have loved the whole series, but I read it in 2020, and it's a symptom of the times that all these problems I have with it just kind of go with books that were written in the same time frame. Yeah. They have the same problems. And so, I think if I had read it before, I would have liked it, but reading it when I did, I just, I can't. Right. It's about an alternate history of the UK and set in the future. So it's about a girl who is a clairvoyant. Clairvoyants have been around for at least 200 years and she ends up getting caught as a clairvoyant and that's a big no-no in London. So they end up shipping her off to Oxford where she becomes someone's slave. And it is a new breed of clairvoyants that come from a different dimension through a rift in Oxford. I mean, it's a dystopian, so you would think I would like it. And, like, it's a girl being basically the chosen one who has to fight against the power and all of that. Which is usually something you eat up. Yeah, and I just... There were logic flaws in the system that is taking over Oxford in London. And then there's also the fact that you have one of these higher beings who is a slave owner, and then you have her as like the slave. And there's a romantic element between them by the end of the book, and it made me want to vomit. Yeah, There are so many things wrong with it. Like not even going into the can of worms that is human ownership, because that's a whole other thing. But like, it felt real gross. Yeah. 
Because, like, even if she felt the same way, she ends up feeling the same way. But even if she does, you still have that power dynamic difference that is definitely not okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think if I had read it when it first came out, I would have loved it. But times have changed. Right. I'm glad I got it off my shelves. I'm still doing really well with my magical readathon. I've read about half of the books I planned on reading for that, and I've read half the books I planned on reading for the month. So I'm still doing well as far as all the TBR goes. That's good. And what I'm planning on reading next is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. It is a YA contemporary about a girl who is in the car with her friend when he's shot by the police. And this came out many years ago, and it was very impactful, became a movie, and still noteworthy today. Very, and, very current event relevant. And that shouldn't be the case. It's been sitting on my shelves because I've been nervous to read it, and so now I'm finally going to do that. And I'm going to join you in finishing Harry Potter next week. I'm going to finally start Goblet of Fire and do my reread of that this year. Are you going to reread the illustrated version? No. I read the illustrated versions last year, and I'm going to read them next year, but I don't want to read them every year. Gotcha. Because the fifth one comes out next year. Ah. But that shouldn't take me too long, even though it's about 800 pages, 750 pages. Yeah. And then if this book arrives in time, I will also try to fit it in. It's the old guard opening fire. It's the bind up of the first five comics. It's currently still sitting at USPS in Tennessee. So who knows? Hey, they're holding on to it because they know that book's the only 10 they see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But if I manage to read all three of those things, that'll be about 1,350 pages in seven days. So almost 200 pages a day. Which would be tight. It'd be hard to read that much. Yeah. So we'll see what ends up happening. Definitely The Hate You Give. Definitely Harry Potter. Maybe The Old Guard. Sounds like you got a lot on your plate. Yeah. But I think that's all we've got for you this week. We're going to try to cool off now. It's been over 100 degrees in Texas all week. Plus the humidity, which brings it closer to like 110 in most instances. It's been like melting hot outside right now. So if you're somewhere cooler, enjoy it. Uh, Enjoy listening to our podcast and not sweating to death. And if you're not, make sure you're drinking water. Yep, exactly. But we do appreciate you guys giving us a listen again this week. We look forward to seeing you next week where we'll be wrapping up my read on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And make sure you check out all of our social media, which should be linked in the show notes. We appreciate it so much, guys, and you have a great week. Bye. Bye.